Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for tuning in to The Dispatch. If you love the show, tell a friend. We are at Outline Dispatch on Twitter. You can find me at Jeremy P. Gordon. If you have any feedback, email us at podcasts at theoutline.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Don't touch anything, okay? The Outline World Dispatch. Every Monday through Thursday, we bring you a story on the theme of power, culture, or the future, handpicked from theoutline.com. Culture. Hi, Jeremy. Oh, hey. How's it going? Yeah, good. How are you? Uh, not bad. I'm uh, excited to interview another Gordon. Absolutely. The namesake. <laughs> Lewis, you came to me with this idea that we recently ran on the outline. Uh, what was it? So it was looking at uh, ambient music and ambient video games and um, how Breath of the Wild functions as an ambient video game. And why were you interested in the idea of the ambient video game? I've been doing a lot of research uh, recently about um, Japanese ambient music. Uh, and there's kind of been a resurgence in interest around Japanese ambient music. Artists like Hiroshi Yoshimura, some of uh, Harumi Hasano's output, who was in Yellow Magic Orchestra. There's another group called Inayama Land. And kind of thinking about what those guys were trying to do uh, in the 1980s in Japan, and then also playing a lot of Breath of the Wild, and it kind of performing the same function for me. I would often kind of, in the same way that I would listen to some of those records and they put me into this kind of relaxed state. Breath of the Wild kind of does the same, I would say. Can you talk a little bit about Breath of the Wild? I mean, what is the premise of this game? And, you know, what's the, what's the lineage it's coming out of? Breath of the Wild is uh, the latest Zelda video game. Open your eyes. Zelda is a, a kind of Japanese uh, video game franchise. It started in 1986. It's one of its creators, uh, Miyamoto, wanted to try and conjure um, this feeling that he got as a child about exploring nature and that sense of discovery. And he kind of, he tried to articulate those feelings within the first video game. I think to me what was so interesting about Breath of the Wild is how it intentionally encourages this sense of open-ended exploration and you know as you touched upon in the piece you can just kind of spend hours and hours running around the fields and seeing what's around this corner uh, and it's for a triple-a game in 2017 when it came out or you know 2018 now to have such an emphasis on uh, this sense of yeah open-ended relaxation is almost novel I and mean, considering the other uh, games that come out or you know so em- emphasize like violence and action so much and this one is just kind of like a, a lazy daydream there's a a big emphasis on kind of navigation and traversal uh, so that get, that gives you these huge kind of stretches of gameplay existing in the landscape where you're really doing nothing more than just kind of moving from one point to another um, which really kind of 
allows you to soak in what the designers and what the artists have done with this kind of digital world that they've created. When you began playing the game, how long was it before you noticed that it had this uh, secondary effect? Because, you know, I, I think a, a game like Zelda has so much hype coming onto it and everybody has their idea of what the franchise does. And then, you know, this game comes out in such a radical departure from what we've seen before. Uh, do you remember any moment where you sort of realize like, oh, my God, I'm, I, I'm kind of this game is kind of having this effect on me? There's probably no single moment, but... Uh... I think what I started to to realize what I was doing with the game was I was deliberately seeking out particular um, environments within the game where I could just kind of exist in it away from any of the combat um, or any of the more kind of stressful moments within the game. So I might particularly seek out uh, a meadow or a forest uh, to just kind of mooch about in for half an hour um, and we kind of start doing that every evening. Put on uh, a Hiroshi Yoshimura record or something like that. In the 1980s, um, you start to have a group of artists who are beginning to create ambient music and some of those artists include Hiroshi Yoshimura, uh, Satoshi Ashikawa, um, Inayama Land, Harumi Hisano. Um, and these guys are riffing on Brian Eno's music. And a lot of the kind of ambient music that was emerging from the West. Um, but looking further back, they were also um, looking to Eric Satie's music as well and his idea of furniture music and music that kind of existed as a complement to the environment. Um, and what these artists, the actual translation of ambient music in Japanese is environmental music. So it's music that exists in conjunction with a space and can alter the mood of the space. Um, and that was part of their kind of manifesto. If you look at um, Satoshi, Satoshi Ashikawa's liner notes for Stillway, he talks about environmental music and, and the power it has to kind of affect your surroundings, but also your mood, and that being an important thing to explore. How does this ambient music play off of uh, the environments in uh, you know, 80s Japan or even today? In Japan, uh, in, in post-war Japan, you have this kind of crazy kind of industrial and economic boom um, from the end of World War II up until 1992. And particularly during the 1980s, um, you started to have these kind of big technological corporations emerge, including uh, companies like Nintendo and Sony. And you also have uh, the asset and stock market bubble as well, which, which occurred from 1986 to 1992. And you have this kind of growth of wealth that's kind of unprecedented, I think, anywhere. Um, but you also have the, uh, the kind of trappings of hypermodernization as well. You have this uh, urban development. Um, you have people moving to the cities like they hadn't done so before. And you have these kind of cities where 
I can only imagine, but the noise must have been incredible. Um, skyscrapers just going up. And I think a lot of this music is kind of a, not a resistance, but, but, but working from that context, um, which is why a lot of it kind of pivots back to these kind of natural soundscapes, if you like. And it's a way of kind of crafting something like this that you can experience within the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this quote in your story, uh, which is that, um, read it back to you, people would often deploy these in overwhelming or distressing sensory situations, like the often crowded work commute on public transport. For those who could afford such technologies, the rhythm of music or the video game was frequently preferable to that of the train or bus. Uh, do you think this current popularity of ambient video games is connected to our current anxieties? Yes, I do. I do. And I think during the article, what I tried to articulate was how ambient music functions and ambient video games function to an extent um, when life is a little bit precarious and when you need something to kind of uh, to provide a, a bed of security or uh, to, pro- to provide something reassuring to an extent. Lewis, thanks for joining us today. Uh, where can we find you or your work online? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at Lewis underscore Gordon. Um, and you can find my work on sites such as Waypoints or Heterotopias or, or FactMag. Excellent. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to The Dispatch. We are produced by James T. Green. I'm Jeremy Gordon.